This is episode 168 with multiple American record holder, Olympian, and winner of numerous national championship titles, Ms. Molly Huddle. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and if you love running and want to improve, if you have big goals and want the resources and inspiration to achieve them, then you're in the right place. On this podcast, you'll hear from the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, psychologists, elite runners, dietitians, and therapists who can help you elevate your performance. While you have to do the work, my goal is to show you the most strategic ways to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to the next level. Because if you better understand running, if you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running, fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss our other 167 episodes of the podcast, our video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or our home base, strengthrunning.com. Here is where you can find all of our coaching and training programs that help you prevent injuries, run faster, build mental skills like self-efficacy, or become a stronger, more powerful athlete. This episode is supported by our longtime partner, Inside Tracker, the ultra-personalized nutrition platform. They analyze your blood and DNA biomarkers, along with your lifestyle habits, to help you optimize your diet, lifestyle, and exercise in order to reach your goals. And they're now offering their best deal of the year with $200 off the ultimate plan. This is their most comprehensive package. I just got my own blood work done last week and I'm awaiting the results. I can't wait. Now, if you use code GIFT from Strength Run at insidetracker.com, you'll realize those $200 in savings. Joining us today is none other than Molly Huddle. Molly is one of the best runners in the world, the American record holder in the 10K, 20K, and half marathon. She represented the United States at the 2012 Olympics, qualifying for the 5,000-meter final and finishing 11th. She set the American record in the 10K at the 2016 Olympics, finishing fifth overall in a race where the world's record fell. Later that same year, she made her marathon debut at the New York City Marathon, making the podium in a third-place finish. Molly undoubtedly has range as a 5K and marathon runner and as a cross-country athlete, but she also has longevity. She's now been a professional runner for well over a decade, and that longevity is partly due to her mindset and the care that she takes to stay healthy and also her unique training schedule all of which we're going to discuss in this episode. You'll hear how Molly had to adjust her training this year due to COVID, like we all have, how she stays motivated, and her advice for all runners on how to keep the momentum going, despite most races being canceled. She also teases a new project that she'll be releasing next year. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Molly Huddle. Molly, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. Well, I thought I might start with a quick congratulations. Uh, I understand we're about a month beyond your 11-year wedding anniversary. So did you get the traditional gift of steel? <laughs> um, we we didn't do the traditional gifts this year. <laughs> um, we're always stumped for wedding gifts, and those almost make it harder because <laughs> what steel 
gift could I think of for my husband? But yeah. An eye beam, I think, is very romantic. Yeah, I guess the guys would be easier. There's lots of tools he would love. So I should have, <laughs> I should maybe do that. <laughs> well, I'm about to celebrate my 10-year anniversary next year. Um, it, what do I have to know to make it to year 11? Is that a big uh, transition, 10 to 11? Oh, gosh. No, it doesn't feel that different. I think we got into a groove. We got into a groove pretty fast. So yeah, it all feels like a blur. But um, I think that we're teammates kind of in this, um, in my running career has helped us stay good teammates in life too. Like we just work that way, the two of us together. So that's sports have been, it's been cool to meet him through sports. And that's kind of how we like have our um, relationship strategies based around. <laughs> well, I think that's a good foundation, right? Because there's there's all these, you know, elements of supporting each other and and having separate goals, but but also goals that might be related to each other. And, you know, th- this all just resonates with me because I met my wife uh, in the running community. She was on the women's cross country team. I was on the men's cross country team when we were in college. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So uh, the fact that you guys met as runners and and have supported each other uh, and him particularly for you over the years, I think is just great. Yeah, definitely. That's how we met as well. We met at Notre Dame on the team. And um, yeah, he he tried to run for a little bit and I would, you know, bike with him on workouts when we when he first graduated and now he supports me. So I feel like that we've had that kind of we've both helped each other at points um, along the way has it's just been a good exercise and like, you know, picking up the support when someone needs it. And, you know, sports are always a metaphor for life. So it works in marriages too, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I think we're both living that for, for sure. Um, so I, I do want to talk about some serious r- training topics, but uh, very quickly, I want to know more about this whole female running emoji. I just learned about this and I understand that you had a role in helping develop the female running emoji. How did this all come about? Yeah, I think I did. Anyway, I, it's kind of a random, funny, like icebreaker story fact, I guess. But um, I was texting one of my really good friends back in, I think it was 2015 or 26, 2015, I think is when the idea came up. And she was running a 5k that weekend, like for fun. Um, she's not a serious runner. And she sent the little guy in the jeans running emoji. And, um, she was like, ah, we really need a, an emoji like of a girl running. Like, and I was like, it struck a chord. Cause I used, I also used to use that quite a bit. Cause I, um, you know, kind of used to ironically use emojis and then they just became something I actually really used all the time. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, like I use a lot of emojis. I just really think I need one that represents uh, running better than this one. So I was bored. I was on my break from training. It was in the fall and I just Googled how emojis get decided upon and it led to this like rabbit hole of um, reading about the Unicode consortium, which is how characters get added to the keyboard. Uh, And there is like a submission process that you could type up and fill out um, to request an emoji. So I called my friend uh, Roisin, who... Um, was one of my training partners as well. And I was like, would your, her husband's a graphic designer. And she, we both help each other on 
weird projects all the time. So I was like, would you help me? Would your husband help me design the emoji? Um, And so we sent in a formal application and I have no idea if that is why we eventually got the emoji because there's, as you, as you know, there's like hundreds of emojis now. So I wonder if they would have just added it anyway, if I just waited for a minute, but I did make a good case for the female runner (laughs) emoji (laughs) and I use it. I use it a lot. (laughs) It's almost amazing to me that we were, it it was 2015 or 2016 and there still wasn't uh, a, a woman uh, running emoji that just kind of blows my mind. But I guess the whole proliferation of emojis over the last decade or so has just been pretty wild now that everyone's, you know, I, I think it's funny you say that because I think everyone started using emojis like almost ironically. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm a 37 year old man sending all these emojis yep. and <laughs> true for everyone. Yeah. They're ju- well, they're just part of our language now, you know, it's just like a whole new keyboard. So it's just evolved into that. Yeah, it's almost like the meme too. Like you can communicate now non-verbally and and it's almost better at communicating a feeling or an emotion much better than the written word. Yeah, like they're replacing like exclamation points and like <laughs> it's it's really interesting actually. Yeah, Let, let's move on to running. I know our, our <laughs> listeners right now are like, wow, they're off the rails. But um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about how hard running is right now. And uh, you know, there's just been this this cycle of us adult runners looking out a few months, finding a race that's being held, to training for it, keeping our hope alive, and then it's canceled with only a, a week or two to go. And it's just like this ultimate bait and switch for runners. How do you think runners should think about these situations? Because it's just so frustrating and it really takes the wind out of your sails without that goal, that drive training just gets a lot more difficult. How do you, how are you dealing with this? Yeah, I definitely found that to be true the first few months. Um, initially when, so for me, um, when the Olympics were postponed, um, so the Olympic trials were also postponed and that's kind of, I had missed one team that we were lucky enough to have that race Uh, in February, be unaffected by the pandemic. But as I was trying to bounce back and look ahead towards the summer trials, I realized, you know, I should take a break if those are going to be postponed. And then, you know, I'll get back into it. And maybe a few other races will get on the calendar. And we saw like everyone else did that, like, we, we put the New York City Marathon down as a, you know, the next target, and then that would get canceled. And then, okay, like, we'll put this other and you slowly realized, like, you need to just take charge of your own racing efforts and try and supplement it with either, you know, time trials, or if you could safely have like a small local race or hard efforts or just other challenges, maybe like you're not doing a typical 5k, maybe you're trying something totally different. Um, whether it was a multi-day challenge or something like that, that you had control over because it was really hard to stay motivated when you just weren't really sure if it was real, the thing you were training for, if it was going to happen. Um, and you just really didn't have control over it. So that's kind of the number one strategy. I think we eventually chose, and I know it's not super feasible for everyone to do it. Um, but virtual races were our way. You could kind of have a time trial situation that feels a little more accountable, like a little more special because you have to like send those results to someone and they get posted somewhere (laughs) publicly. Um, But yeah, it was definitely, that was definitely really hard to keep looking ahead and, and then you would get there and it kind of made you afraid to put another goal down because it happened so many times during the year. 
Right. And I, I think this whole idea of you taking control of your own training and, you know, not really letting the schedule of major races dictate your training for you is actually a really interesting way of looking at things because uh, it's it's really putting the runner back in the driver's seat and giving them more autonomy, giving them more control over their schedule and what they're training for, because what they're training for is, is not really an official event. You know, maybe it's a, it's a new training PR or it's a new kind of, you know, event that kind of was invented here in the pandemic or, or just a time trial. Uh, I, I think that's a, a good way to, to look at it. How are you practically thinking about that? Are you just kind of like thinking, okay, I'm in base training right now and, you know, I'll do some time trials you know, this winter or, or how, how do you look at the training process when, you know, like you said, all these races just keep getting canceled. And, you know, I'm sure that's so hard on the way that you're training, because obviously you want your training to be periodized a certain way. You want to get yourself ready for hopefully a peak performance by a certain time. And when the goalposts are constantly moving, that's just almost an impossible situation to be in. Yeah, that's definitely how I felt. Like I, it seemed like, um, like I've said this a few times, but as a, especially as a professional athlete, but I think runners in general and marathon runners and, you know, anyone trying to maximize their potential or get a PR, like you're used to idealize, like ideal chasing the ideal in a race scenario and trying to chase the ideal, um, in practice, you know, you're trying to get better and work out harder and, you're, at least as a professional athlete, I know you're looking for all these little 1% gains as far as like hydration and fueling and um, gear and like any strategy you can think of. And now we're just in such a an ideal scenario. You can't even do your, your buildup for the amount of time that you want because you, you're not sure, you know, the races come on the calendar like with much less buildup time or they get canceled last minute. So, and you'll have to pivot to something else. So just had to get used to that really. And, um, kind of change the theme of the year from, you know, my typical mindset to like, do the best you can with what you have right now. Um, and it's been interesting to see people get creative. You know, we are, we are in base phase right now because I took a little bit of a break after we tried to put three micro meets on my schedule just here in New England. Um, and then I just took my downtime after that. And now we're heading into 2021, looking hopefully at a somewhat more normal schedule with some normal races, but we know we may have to go back to, you know, doing a time trial with whoever's around us and probably not traveling the way we used to. Um, not as often and maybe not to meet. Um, so that's kind of what we're, we're looking at. And, um, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely made us more creative, but also like we just had to let some things go as far as the perfectionist, uh, in us, uh, in regards to how we approach the, the season. It's not a good time to be a perfectionist for sure. This might be a weird question, but was it almost a relief to not have the pressure of the normal schedule and the demands of training and racing and, and, you know, kind of like the ideal. Cause I know the ideal is 
certainly something that you pay attention to, you know, every day. And like you were saying, it's the gear, it's the hydration. There's so many different things that you are trying to optimize by 1%. And, and that's what you have to do at the, you know, at the, at the world, in the world stage. But was it almost a little bit of a relief to kind of, you know, kind of get back to basics, not worry about, you know, the final 1%? It is a relief because that is a lifestyle. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really mesh with most other people's lifestyles. So you're kind of living in a, as an elite athlete, you're living in a weird bubble that you make yourself and you're, it doesn't, not everyone else in society is going to fold around that or care. So you're always kind of making this path. Like, you know, if you like, for example, the way my coach writes our schedules is for maximum recovery. So there's, uh, we work out every fourth day. So our workout day rotates. It's never a set, you know, Tuesday or Thursday every week. Uh, same with our long run. So, you know, I just have to, whatever day that is that those three things fall, I just have to give that day to the workout or the long run. And whatever I have that day, if it's a podcast or a dental appointment or whatever it is, like it gets canceled, you know, or it just, it doesn't happen. So that's kind of those little things where you're like, well, this is my job and this is, this is the way we do things or, you know, you go away for months at a time to train at altitude. So you're not home a lot. And those are, um, those are stressful, I guess. So it was kind of nice for a year to like, I didn't not train, but it was nice to feel like I'm going more with the flow of things. Um, although not much else really was going on for anybody, I guess, during the pandemic, but yeah, that was, it was almost a relief and it was really stressful, there was about a two week period before the Olympics were postponed when I was trying to get onto tracks and do some strides and it was really hard to get on the track, but I felt like I had to like go through all these efforts to find one that was open and, um, you know, make sure it wasn't too full for me to be there. Cause I felt like my, like I had to be there cause I was trying to get ready for this really, you know, big event and, the gyms were closed and pools were closed and it was, it was just really stressful. So actually when things started to get delayed and canceled, I was like, well, at least we don't have to um, face all those issues because it was really, it was just, everything was harder than normal. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, while the news was certainly negative and it was disappointing, it, it almost introduced more certainty into things. And, and I'm sure, you know, that was, was needed and, and wanted at that point. I want to talk about some of those micro meets that you ran because, um, you know, I think a lot of runners might be participating in, in small local races that are being held in some places. How do you evaluate the risk and reward of racing, you know, in a pandemic, you know, on one hand, racing is what you do. This is your profession as a pro runner, but on the other hand, you're in close proximity to other people and you're given a max effort and what, can often be called, you know, a glorified time trial. And, you know, you're not getting the same, you know, media exposure that you might in a big official race. Is there a certain calculation that you use to to help yourself make a smarter decision about this? Um, well, we kind of tried to just stick to the local rules. And personally, I just decided I didn't really feel like it was worth flying anywhere. You know, we decided traveling. Um anywhere farther than like two or three hours from us just wasn't worth the risk. You know, I mean, I think sports just kind of took a backseat in importance in general during, during this whole year. Um, you know, we, the ones that tried to survive were creative and did a good job, but I do feel like there was a cost benefit of like, 
you know, it's really not worth the risk to for me to fly to Europe or something like that. Um, so we decided that on our own. And then as far as the micro meets, um, we put two of, we hosted two of them ourselves. My husband put them on and the one was held by a runner, Elena Belarus, who runs for the BAA. Um, and her, her husband, um, helped put that on. So they were following Massachusetts rules and, you know, we, it's a little easier with the professional track meets to kind of keep it very low risk because you can have a really small field and everyone can spread out and you could have no spectators. So it could be, you know, our two meets were very small. I think we had probably 12 people or less competing. Uh, and it wasn't all at the same time. It was three in my race. And with the officials, you know, we had the bare bones of officials and timer um, and a few other volunteers. And so it was probably under 15 people for one of the meets uh, present total. So it was easier to logistically spread everyone out outside and feel like it was pretty safe. Um, but, you know, that being said, if I wasn't a professional runner. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would have attempted all that. Um, I think there's ways to kind of keep keep yourself motivated without going to the actual event um, or needing those actual race events, um, even though it, it's definitely harder. But I don't know that I would have taken a risk to play a sport if it wasn't my my job. Um, that's, that's just kind of the way I looked at it. So, so our season was really scaled back. You know, I think I raced six times or less this year. Um, usually I do, you know, 12 to 15 races a year. Yeah. And I think that, uh, the fact that you weren't traveling is probably taking out one of the biggest risk factors and you kept it local and it seems like there were not a lot of people there, which is probably the second best thing that you can do is just to limit attendance. Um, you mentioned some other ways of staying motivated without racing. And, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a hard sell for a lot of runners. What, what are some of those big motivators uh, for you if, if you're not racing? Yeah, so fully admitting racing is my number one motivator. Um, so it was definitely hard to feel like I could push in practice the way I used to be able to. Cause I just, I didn't really realize how big of a driver that race was that I was getting ready for, you know, when you know, you have to face like really formidable opponents soon, you, you get your butt moving. Um, but I, I do like training, you know, I like the rhythm of it. It's I've done it for so long that keeping that a part of my day, if I could was something I knew I just felt better in general. Um, doing. So it was really more that level of training. You know, we didn't push it quite as hard, to be honest, as we normally do. Um, and just knowing like, I feel good when I'm relatively fit was a, was a motivator. Um, and just knowing that like, we had a few creative challenges on the schedule, like the hour run that I've never tried before. So that newness was kind of interesting. And, and I don't know if that's something people could mimic on their own, you know, to go do a different kind of time trial. Like maybe it's not a 5k, maybe it's something different, like an hour run, like how far do you get an hour? Or can you do, you know, something on a different surface, like a trail or I just find all throughout my career, like the novelty, like if I can change an event or change something up a little bit that can just make everything seem more exciting. Um, so that really helped. And then I was just kind of focusing too on like 
like when you're sitting at home during the pandemic, you notice like, hey, like the paint's peeling over here. or We need like, we could do a better like renovation over there. Like I basically did that with my body and was like, okay, like I'm going to fix this hip. Like I have no excuse. So just focusing on gym work, which is, um, you know, usually that's kind of in the background, brought it more into the foreground. And that was exciting because I'm like, okay, like maybe I can turn back the, the hands of time by just doing a bunch of physical therapy. <laughs> so excited <laughs> to see how I feel. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I think focusing on something new, some some novelty, whether it's a trail race, an ultra marathon, a lot of runners have never raced anything shorter than a 5K. So I think training for something really short is, is very interesting at this point in time. Uh, and then also working on your weaknesses, you know, that that hip that you're trying to fix. You know, I think this is such a a valuable perspective to have in a time like this when, you know, you can't focus on races. So let's focus on dealing with a weakness that you might have, whether that's, you know, an injury or, you know, maybe it's some sort of training limitation that you have, you know, like I get hurt every time I reach X, Y, Z mileage. So maybe you spend some time figuring that out. Uh, so I think that's just such an interesting and, and valuable way of looking at things because it's, you know, uh, evidence of a growth mindset, you know, you're looking at ways to improve even in a, very much less than ideal situation. So I think that's awesome. Uh, now, Molly, I'm so glad you brought up the hour race. Uh, this is something that I don't think most runners have ever run before. Uh, I know I ran in high school and college and, and post-collegiately for a while, and uh, I never attempted a, a one-hour race. And you know, racing for distance rather than time is is just such an interesting flip of what we're all used to. How did you approach a race like this? And you know, what was it like running around the track for, for such a long period of time? It was really different. I, I actually would like to do it again. Cause I feel like what I ended up doing was just breaking it down to what I thought I would run as a time and ended and aiming for that. So, so I feel like you really do need to think about it differently. And especially with the last half of the race, just try and like eat up the track more so than, you know, I was trying to just hit even splits. Um, so yeah, I would definitely like to do it again and I would focus more on that. And it was fun actually. Um, I thought, you know, I, well, I love the track first of all, but I was a little nervous cause I'd never done that many laps. I think in the end it was 43 laps, I believe. Um, and I thought, Oh, like I'm going to get bored or whatever, but I just got into a rhythm, you know, the laps get me into a rhythm and, um, yeah, it was totally, it was totally fun. I, wish I would have run a little faster. So that's, that's enticing to know that like, I want to come back when I'm fitter one day and maybe try this again, even during, you know, normal times. <laughs> it's so interesting that you kind of in your mind flipped the race from an hour race to what kind of a distance might I be able to run? And then you oriented yourself around, you know, that pace. So if you ran 43 laps, let's see, that's about 10.75 miles in an hour. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. Is your, is your 10 mile PR roughly kind of equivalent to that? No, it's way faster than that. It was way off my PRs for the, for the half and the 10 mile. So that's why I kind of wanted to come, to come back and try it again when I'm fitter. Um, but I think that's why no one, you know, attempts that record they when they're really fit they try to go do a marathon or a real half and this is kind of thought of as one of those odd dis odd events kind of like an in-between event 
So um, yeah, definitely room for improvement on that record from anybody who wants to tackle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you were like, uh, oh, I love the track. So it, it, presumably you didn't really mind running 43 laps on a track. And it's just weird that you said that because one of my favorite workouts in college was, you know, 8K tempo just on the track where you would just run 20 laps. And to most people, that sounds like, you know, the worst afternoon ever, but I, I really found it kind of meditative in a way. And, you know, you just focus on one little chunk at a time. And, uh, you know, for, I think for the runners who have that kind of a mindset, you know, maybe an hour race on the track is, is really something that they would thrive at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it would be harder for some people than others, depending on what kind of person you are with the track versus roads. Some people really love the roads because you don't have that constant check-in, but I always loved splits and data and, uh, breaking things into smaller pieces like that. At one time I had my sister come with me to the track and she wrote down all of my quarter mile splits. Now she didn't tell me because I didn't want to know. I just wanted to run strictly by feel. And then afterward I got to just pour over all the data and it was like, you know, a running nerds, you know, perfect dream where they could just pour over all kinds of data and then compare it to how it felt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. And I feel like I really, yeah, I only speak the language of like 400 meter splits. So that's all I really cared about. <laughs> <laughs> now that is some running nerdery, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <yep. laughs> no, I also know that the weather wasn't ideal when you were doing this, uh, the 60 minute race. W were you pulling out more sports psych or mental fitness strategies to keep yourself, you know, running strong, especially in the last half of a race like this? Yeah, I definitely was trying to, um, tune out the weather. We were lucky it wasn't windy because that's, I don't, that would slow us down even more, but it was just pretty soggy and cold. And I know I don't usually run well in those conditions. So I definitely was trying to just put it in the background and, um, focus on what was going right. You know, I had pacers for five miles and, you know, I was still hitting the splits and I didn't feel too bad, you know, things like that, that were going well. Um, and I feel like if I could zone in on that, I kind of forgot it was raining. So yeah, it, it definitely worked. Yeah. You, you, I think you really need to <laughs> pull out as many strategies as you can. Um, and it, it does seem like there are a lot of parallels between training through a pandemic and a one hour race on the track. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so a lot of, you know, most adult runners, we're doing this because we love it, not because we're paid to do it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that your job is any easier because you still have, you know, media appearances, sponsor commitments, interviews like this one, photo shoots. And there's this so many aspects of being a professional runner that that eat into your time to train. And, you know, our listeners are, are not doing any of those things. We're just juggling jobs. But I do think there's a lot to learn from how you juggle your training and all of the other commitments that you have. And uh, particularly you, Molly, because you're on a, a very interesting training schedule where, you know, you're working out every four days. So, you know, you can't count on Sunday being your long run day and Tuesday, Friday being your workout days. How do you prioritize your training so that you can fully show up while still having time for all those other responsibilities? Yeah, that's a really good question because I feel like this year, kind of like to make up for 
the fact that I couldn't race as much, I kind of felt like I had to take on a lot of other things. And so, you know, we like we have a podcast with Alicia and Roisin, my friends, and I'm writing a book with my other friend, Sarah, about women's um, distance runners. And so like a lot of things just I put on my own plate to kind of make up for not make up for, but I, I saw it as an opportunity to do them. And also like, you know, I always wanted to do these things. Let's take this chance. Um, but that doesn't mean I didn't train this year and it was still a really important piece towards next year. So I definitely had to learn like, Hey, like you have a pool of like mental and physical energy and it's like all the same pool and you can't let too much of it go into this project because then you don't have enough for your workout. And so definitely I just admitted like on workout days, I really don't get anything else done besides the workout. <laughs> it just takes by the time you're, you know, getting warmed up and, and you go to wherever, you know, location you're allowed to do your workout and you, you focus. Like for me, it takes focus to get through it and, you come home and you shower and eat or I lift and then I shower and eat. It's like the day just, it's just not going anywhere. So, so yeah, definitely working in smaller, um, kind of like lowering the bar for how much other stuff I get done besides running and keeping it the priority, um, which can be hard because sometimes, you know, when a lot of things pile up in the other column for other stuff to do besides running, you just want to tackle it. And then you might be too tired to run if you, wait till the end of the day. So yeah, I, I definitely relate to that kind of, you're excited about other things or there's other things you need to do, but, um, just because running is like physical, doesn't mean there isn't a mental focus component that you have to kind of save up and dedicate to it. And, uh, my workouts always go better when I acknowledge that, you know, I can't just pretend that I can put down what I'm working on and go hop over to the track and expect it to go great. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine because there's just, uh, you know, the workouts you're doing are, are fairly challenging and, uh, you know, you really need to make sure you have the focus for that. Um, now you mentioned you're writing a, a book about women's distance running. Are you able to share anything about that? Yeah, we, um, my friend Sarah Slattery, um, came to me around December of last year with the idea to interview, um, some of the best female runners in the U S and even a few from around the world and put it together for like a high school, um, training guide type of book, uh, speaking to developing female athletes. And I thought it was a great idea. Um, and so, yeah, we've just been collecting the interviews, not a ton of actual writing, more just collecting the perspectives from these women and putting it together. And, um, it's been super fun actually, especially during the pandemic, even though we started before the pandemics shut everything down because you get to, we've been doing zoom interviews. So we get to talk to these amazing women <laughs> during a time when you can't really see, you know, everybody that you want to see in person. This is like such a great, um, thing, like gift to come out of it personally, to be able to hear some of these stories and advice from, from people that I had idolized even, uh, growing up. So it's been really fun. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's been fun and it's on, we're actually somewhat on track to finish on time. So, um, it won't be out until next year, actually. Well, very interesting. I can't wait. It sounds incredible. I hope that maybe we can have a, a round two conversation, uh, when the book is out and talk a little bit more, uh, about it, because I think, you know, um, I mean, you're in it, but women's distance running in the United States, if the last couple of years, you know, something special is happening and 
you know, the, the stories that are, are coming out of women's distance running, um, you know, I'm what's on top of mind for me is Kira D'Amato setting the American 10 mile record. Uh, she's having a huge tear, but you know, of course, uh, Sarah Hall is, is doing amazing things. And I just feel like there's been this, uh, this renaissance or resurgence of, of women's distance running in the last five or 10 years in the United States. And it's just so exciting to see. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited for your book. It sounds like you're kind of capturing a lot of that magic that's been happening over the last couple of years. Yeah, totally. And we've, we, we've noticed that and we, we think part of it is, um, you know, we're sort of myth busting some of the unhealthy, like aspects of distance running that maybe some women thought were necessary as far as, you know, there's just more awareness around things like red S and under fueling and body image and like, we have just like stronger women coming into the sport and keeping themselves that way. And so we wanted to talk to that, like we concentrate more on the recent athletes and, um, you know, just how they are able to be like strong and have healthy relationships with the sport. And that's leading to amazing results. So yeah, just reinforcing that to younger athletes, I think is going to be, um, hopefully something that they take with them. For sure. And, and I know that you've done some work with girls in the running community. I'd love to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, I have two daughters. My wife, like I mentioned before, is a former collegiate runner. So, you know, this is very near and dear to me. Uh, and, and you've written before about uh, just being a role model. How, how do you think about that? And, you know, how do you think about paying it forward to all the girls around the world who look up to you and, you know, everything you've done with your career? Yeah, I think it's just kind of being aware that, um, you know, I think a lot of runners are kind of like, well, I don't want to project, but like a lot of distance runners are like more introverted and don't love the spotlight, but I think you can do some really beneficial things with it, you know? Um, so just trying to recognize more of that myself that like, you know, people can look to you for what to do or as an example, and, um, they're going to be looking at you no matter what. So you might as well use it for something beneficial. And I think that's been important just to, to talk about those things, things like, you know, healthy, like, um, body image and eating healthily and just like good sportsmanship and what you can get out of the sport beyond winning and, um, you know, things to help with pre-race anxiety and just things that are going to make, you know, girls stay in the sport longer and kind of thrive, like take it with them for their whole lives. That'd be one of my objectives. One of, one of the things I really hope um, to help other girls do. And, um, I think I've gravitated towards, for whatever reason, towards telling stories, like, of like allowing like the other female athletes who maybe don't get enough media coverage to kind of have another, even though it's small, another outlet <laughs> to reach, um, to reach that same audience. So, um, you know, we started our podcast because, there's a stat that um, 4% of sports media coverage in the U.S. is female, um, is women's sports, which is such a low stat. Like, so that's like not double digits even of all the sports media coverage in the U.S. Um, and it's true. Like when I scroll through my news app on my phone, like you have to go, you know, you can go days without scrolling down to a woman's sports story. So that's why, you know, I think track, it's probably a little more um, equal because of the way our sport is set up, which is awesome. And I'm in the track world. So we wanted to shed some light on some of those stories. Cause I know there's so many beneficial things and there are so many other great role models in our sport too. You know, it's just, it's hard to get 
the attention on people. Um, so we're, we're trying to help do that in small ways. Well, it's important work because I've read that the uh, percentage of girls who drop out of sports, you know, at some point in high school is dramatically higher than boys. And, you know, because it's reinforced more for boys to be an athlete, to stay in sports, you know, to compete. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that, it just isn't there for girls. And I'm glad that you're you're helping to address that. I uh, know, Molly, what's the name of your podcast? Our podcast is called Keeping Track. Keeping Track. And your host is Sarah Slattery? No, that's the book. Um, the host is Roisin McGettigan and Alicia Montano. Okay, got it. I'm going to put uh, links to those in the show notes. And uh, I should add too that when I was in college, I started running the steeplechase and uh, I I had a big like pro runner man crush on Steve Slattery, Sarah's husband. <laughs> he was a, a very good steeplechaser. And, you know, it's such a wacky event that I, I loved kind of going deep into, uh, you know, the, a weird steeplechase event like that. Yeah, Steve was a legend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Molly, this this has been so interesting. Thank you so much for your time. I, I I just really loved hearing your perspectives on you know how you're getting through the pandemic and how you're thinking about training and keeping yourself motivated and uh, all the work that you're doing to give back to the running community. So uh, I'm going to link to your podcast, but where else can runners connect with you, find out more about what you're doing, and, and follow along with your running? Yeah, probably the easiest way would be um, my Instagram or my Twitter, which are just at Molly Huddle. And usually I link to other projects and announcements from there. So <laughs> at Molly Huddle, that's easy enough. Yep. Well, Molly, thank you so much. This was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. And that is my conversation with legendary U.S. distance runner Molly Huddle. If you'd like to hear more from Molly, she joined four other pro women in episode number 160 of the podcast to share her favorite injury prevention strategies. You'll hear from her and Colleen Quigley, Grayson Murphy, Kate Grace, and Sarah Hall. Also, don't forget to connect with Molly on Instagram or Twitter. Her handle is at Molly Huddle. Our show is supported by Inside Tracker. Today, more than ever, it's essential that we're making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, to help us be resilient prevent overtraining, and optimize our running so that we can get the most from it. If you want the truth, then the answers are already within you. Literally, they're inside of you. That's because Inside Tracker analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers, along with lifestyle habits, to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. They have a patented system that will transform your body's data into knowledge, insights, and a customized action plan of science-backed recommendations. This is the part of Inside Tracker that I absolutely love. Once you get your results, they tell you what your results mean, so you're not just lost in a sea of data. And while I've gotten my own blood work done recently, I'm awaiting the results and can't wait to share some of the findings with you. And that data can help you determine whether you're running too much or maybe even not running enough, or you have some other issue that could potentially be affecting your recovery or your performance. So if you are ready to take control of your health and optimize your training, Inside Tracker is offering their best deal of the year with $200 off their most comprehensive package, the Ultimate Plan. Use code GIFTFROMSTRENGTHRUN at insidetracker.com. Now, that code is a bit of a mouthful, so one more time, it's GIFT from Strength Run 
no spaces, and that'll get you $200 off the ultimate plan at insidetracker.com. That's all for this episode. As always, I'm here to help. So if you have any questions, criticisms, feedback, or you just want to say hi, shoot me a line at support at strengthrunning.com. Thank you for being here, and we'll be in touch soon. 